0: evening Lisa how are you?
1: I'm doing all right thanks how are you doing Mark? It's the morning there.
0: It is yeah what are we now? It's Saturday morning it's nine o'clock on the 31st of July
1: and it is 6 30 here and there's nothing more rock and roll to do <laughs> than podcast on a Saturday night.
0: <laughs> oh I know but hey, there we go straight in Lisa. So Australia are now back in full lockdown is that right?
1: We are yep. Queensland, as well, today it was just New South Wales, but um, Queensland from today has cancelled all of the rugby and gone into a hard lockdown, too. And it's feeling a little bit like Groundhog Day, and our roles have reversed. How about you? How are you going?
0: Yeah, very again, quite different in that respect. Um, things are starting to open up here. Um, we were just talking sort of pre record, pre pressing record about um, vaccination numbers, for example, something along the lines of 90% of adults in the UK have had their um, first jab and along the lines of 70% have had their second jab so double jabbed and fully vaxxed
1: which is just crazy and this is where I kind of want to turn on my citizenship and say I'm British instead of Australian Um, (laughs) because we are failing so much here right now oh Um, that's incredible
0: isn't it how's it affecting your work in that respect have you got your teams of example are they working from home still how's that working
1: well, do you know what the weirdest thing is, because obviously the first week of the lockdown and we've now been in it for four weeks, is that the first day we literally sent everyone straight home with an iMac. And, and you know, to the whole team, they did this last year. So I've only been with the company for like, what, six months, seven months, probably even eight months now. um, But they've done this before. <laughs> so it really was just like a loop. It was just like one of, you know, it was like Groundhog Day. So literally everyone's like, yep, that's fine. We did all this last year for months on end. Pack it all up and off we go as if it was just normal and everyone copes. And, and suddenly for me, I'm learning to be a remote creative director, <laughs> something that I've never done before, because this time last year we we were both working for our own businesses. Um, but you know what? Everyone's coping really well. Uh, and actually I, I feel a lot closer to the team, you know, we have our regular, like, few times a week, we have, like, casual catch-ups where everyone can join and feel connected. And to them, it's, you know, our photography studio is open because it's classed as essential to um, to shoot certain things for some of our food-based clients. So we are operating within certain restrictions. There's one, exec- one person of the leadership team in each day and our production studio we're in. Um, but everyone is just getting on with it.
0: Quite impressively. You just picked up on a really interesting point, Liz, and I'd like to just delve into this a little bit further. Talking about how you feel that the teams are a bit closer, and I've kind of felt the same more recently, talking to a lot of the teams that I work with, that when you're now communicating with people, you're, you're interacting with not just them, but them in their own personal lives. So you see them in their personal settings, in their living rooms, bedrooms, dining rooms, offices, wherever, um, and then you're starting to see their partners and kids and what have you in the backgrounds. you start to see a little bit into how their lives are previously we had no idea these entities our um let's say creative directors or whoever we might have been working with they, these were just people you just only ever knew on a person on a business re- kind of relationship where you just only ever saw them in the work environment now you're starting to see ah so this is what their life is like this is how they live and they're just normal people exactly the same as us but just so happen to Um, you know have a, a title at work so do you are you finding that Liz
1: definitely like and I was you know I was unsure about how it might work based on the whole working remotely and everything but no I completely agree it's interesting and and I think because of the actual situation that we're all doing that in so there's also a level of empathy I've also noticed at certain points people have got a little bit angry and a little bit fired off on side chats or teams chats and and it's just because of the frustration that the situation kind of ripples through. But I've also been parties to those conversations where you go, look, I'm sorry, I was a little bit off yesterday. Can we start afresh? So I think the frustrations creep in. Like we're all staying at home. Yeah, like some yeah. of a lot of the team have got, you know, homeschooling. There's um, some of them are in. Like I mean, I'm not. I'm in one of the less um, severe areas, but within certain areas, there's like eight areas across Sydney where. You are locked within that confine. You're not even allowed to leave if you're an essential worker. You can't go more than five kilometres. And if and if you um, if you are classed as an essential worker and you do need to leave, you have to be tested every three days. So there's different. Everyone's having different kind of challenges. And I think every now and again it ripples out amongst the team. But there's also so much more empathy of people going, look, I'm sorry. Um, and yeah, and those like I organise regular catch ups. Um, I mean, clients seem to expect just as much work to be done, <laughs> um, we're we're actually busier than when I first started with so many things, but I feel like everyone's just getting on with the job, coping really well. Um, and just reaching out if they're not those kind of little moments where you actually catch up. Like I do two, or three times a week, I'll have like a tea, tea and catch up and it's optional. People can drop in if they want like casual catch ups. Um, yeah, like I feel super close to the people. Like everyone has their own home personalities rippling through yeah so far so good um, in challenging times
0: do you think and i think one of the other benefits to this we have to look at the bright side of all this is people are <laughs> more. well we have to people are more accessible so for example you as a, a team leader you are now more accessible to those people because previously in a studio environment let's say your cd or your dd whoever you might have been working with um, they would become a this sort of again an entity which you hardly ever saw. They would come in someday, sometimes and they're dipping in out of a project, but now that everyone's almost scheduled to a timetable, right, I've got a call with you, a Teams call or a Zoom call at five o'clock, we'll have a bit of a catch up, whatever that might look like. Now everyone's locked into these of catch ups and you can see if someone's online or not, or whether they're busy or not, sort of you know, people make sure that you can sort of see they're available, not available. And so now everyone is more accessible, weirdly
1: enough it's actually that's a really interesting point i never really thought about it like that so it does make some of the people that you didn't necessarily interact with a lot more accessible although i did teach we have one designer in the studio because he doesn't have internet at home and i did teach him where on teams the busy button is <laughs> So because <if you're> fun- <laughs> he's the only person in the yeah. studio we often get requests to make mock-ups and things and everyone's like can ian just make a mock-up can so and so just make a mock-up yeah. so i showed him where the busy button was <laughs>
0: ian, <I laughs> so feel ultimately you,
1: buddy. when he's getting all of these um, all of these requests i went you know you can just put yourself on busy and then people won't keep hassling you for these things but I've also been quite conscious based on that though so it does mean that you are constantly online and like you say people can see if you're busy or not busy but I've also been very conscious because it's easy I I was sucked into it myself for the first week or so to by five six seven eight o'clock at night you've got a butt the shape of your chair and you've not gone out for a walk you've not taken a break like I don't very often sit in the same chair for very long in the studio because I'm here there and everywhere And so, over the past week or so, the weather's been a bit better as well. Being very conscious between meetings or between things to go walk, to get out and about. Because, you know, I mean, our gyms are closed again, Mark. Um, So, you know, after the initial panic and everything, it was like literally just like last year. Thankfully, I retrieved my trainers from the gym locker before it all (laughs) kind of all kicked in. That was when they announced it. I'm like, right, I'm going straight to the gym to retrieve my things from the locker. Um, But, you know, we do have to be a bit conscious. And I've said this to the team like, if ever I I call you and you're out walking or whatever like that's cool, you know like it's no one's gonna because I do think when we come from like because it's such a big business as well, I do think there are probably some preconceived ideas of you should be at your desk between work hours, but we're in a creative industry so you don't necessarily work like that as long as the work gets done. if you're out for ten minutes, you're not gonna get judged if you've gone out for a walk and then you're coming back to do something. so I've been very conscious to kind of you know like make sure you get breaks. Um, and what about you? Have you been busy?
0: Yes. Uh, again, we, we, uh, I'll pick up on the discussion we were just having before we press record. Um, so strange enough, for the last sort of 12, 18 months, I've sort of flipped from having working primarily with my own clients and working on sort of little projects, individual projects with each of these clients to now doing a lot of contracts for freelance work. And the freelance side of work has just, it's been non-stop which has been great, been working with some lovely clients, um, working with lots of the retailers that we recognise.
1: And do you, do you think, Mark, it's because the industry is getting bigger or the contacts and connections you made last year are actually coming back to you as the world starts to wake up?
0: There's a lot of that. And the other aspect to it, certainly in the UK, is um, prior to heading into the first lockdown back in the beginning of 2020, there was a big concern about the freelancing community um, having to... Be a bit more responsible about how they pay their taxes, you know, they are, and potentially paying more tax and becoming more like empl- employees, um, which ultimately meant that a lot of people in the freelance community were flipping going from freelance into full time roles, which adversely or conversely, whatever the word is, um, meant that the freelance pool was reduced dramatically. And every business always needs access to freelancers because freelancers, you can turn on and off, as in you can have them for a certain months of the year and other months where you don't need them. Yet a full-time employee, you you have them on your books all the full time. So from a cash flow perspective, using freelancers is brilliant um, and there's always going to be a need for them. But so what I, I guess the long short of it is the freelance work picked up hugely and that's it hasn't stopped and it's married up quite nicely with the fact that we've made this big move from living in the middle of London um, to moving out in the sticks Uh, and being able to freelance has been hugely helpful because it's meant that I haven't had to stick to commuting into an office Um, not that we could do at the moment but um, so remaining um, freelance has been really helpful for me and I think for the foreseeable I'll probably keep doing it um and it, work is work has been very buoyant,
1: yeah, definitely, and I guess for for someone like yeah, people will buy into you, so it actually doesn't matter about location. It means if the person is right for the job, then you can use whoever it's all oh, again, it's all of those positives of last year, right?
0: The point of today's conversation um or, or podcast we say was to discuss um something which we we and i you and I have discussed a few times is the role of mentors and influencers.
1: Um, And after my awesome session with Christo, it got me thinking about all right, what about kind of influencers, mentors, people who've shaped where we got to today and who we might look to? Actually, in all honesty, after I interviewed Christo, I was like, who do we get on next? Like, I mean, like that's someone that I've wanted to get on for a while. And obviously, there's loads of people we'd love to get on. Um, I mean, Elon may be a way off, but um, we'll, 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 we'll work on that for you, Mark. But it did get me thinking about once you once you kind of speak to someone on their level as someone you've looked up to and has influenced your path, like what next? And so it got us talking about kind of like mentors, influencers, heroes, villains. Um, So we thought it might be a good, a good session for a podcast, didn't we? Um, And I've split it down into different areas. Like I say, completely unprepared. I've listened to a lot of things today and had a thought about who might be people that I would put out there as who's influenced where I've got to, but also about where I'm going. Um, and I thought we might just kind of start by talking about who's who's in, who's influenced you, Mark, into where you've got to now, and who is still in that circle. Of, who is your hero? You don't have to say Elon. It's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's always been and always will be Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it, was so the, it was the it was the vegan no. vegan,
1: totally think, vegan thing
0: off <laughs> him, wasn't it? I, I, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. The the pre-vegan comment. I have to say that. <laughs> I think. This is a really hard one because it's a question that I'm sure we've all been asked at some point. Who Who is um, the hero in your life? And 90% of people would say it would be their mother or their father or someone very close to them, a relative, um, who's obviously sort of had a big influence in the way they've been brought up.
1: I'm surprised you say that because that was, I didn't immediately think to family and stuff at all. And look, don't get me wrong, like, you know, like my mum and and you kind of have a hero and a villain in every piece but it wasn't when i think of hero i don't automatically think of family so it's interesting that you do
0: yeah absolutely. do you know and i'll be honest about this when someone says hero i can't help but think of a superhero and i think of who's the superhero it's Same. always been superman
1: without <laughs> yeah. a shadow of a doubt it's going
0: to be superman so you have to define what is a superhero you know it's a fictional character with superhuman powers and of course that's always going to be my an influence and it's it's unachievable you know being having the ability to fly and run through steel walls and see through clothing. Surely <laughs> not <laughs> <laughs> whatever it might be. I mean they've always aspired to having that. But no. Uh, in terms of the heroes, um again, I I, would, I without a shadow of a doubt I was thinking my parents, my mother, my father. But then do you have to split it into your life? Um and certain parts of your life you'll have different role models, influences, heroes, or to, and now I guess the word of the moment is probably mentors so i 've had so many in, in every role i 've had in every job i 've had in every sort of part of my life there 's been someone who i 've aspired to looked up to
1: so take me on the journey mark tell me who tell me who from an early little mark, who did little mark admire and who does bigger mark admire now <laughs> is that too weird it's a bit too
0: <laughs> okay little mark i, I can 't remember being little uh, being what am i six foot four. When, let's go we can go in height, but at, at two foot i probably my father is obviously my biggest um, role model uh, and then going beyond that um stepping into the, your sort of professional lives um i've had great bosses these are people who have um showed me ways in which to do things which or position things in a way which you think that's a different way of approaching it um the way in which they treat people, the way in which they treat their their work you know good leaders, great leaders will always be. Um, an inspiration to me.
1: I was trying to think about it today, and, and I did write down some names. But then it becomes very difficult, like you say, not to name specific names, but almost think about what they taught you, rather than just them as a person. Because there are people that, at the time, perhaps felt like because we were talking about it in terms of heroes and villains, perhaps felt like a villain, but ultimately ended up being a hero because they've shaped who you are. So I was thinking, even like when you and I used to work together, like at the time you were my creative director at one point, I'm like, oh, like I don't always agree with you, but. It kind of shapes who you are. So there were sometimes people that at the time you didn't necessarily admire, or they might frustrate you, but they've shaped who you are. So consequently, yes, are you fact,
0: trying to say I wasn't your hero? That is. A... You've always Deary been my me. hero, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Can I I'll be a superhero? I like that. Oh, so I hate the superhero. Oh, man, look,
1: I, I didn't eat chicken point. and broccoli agree. until I met you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, and then it then it turned you vegan. I know, and then
1: it so and it was the gym and all sorts of things. So um, so you taught me a lot of positive habits. But, you know, like I think, like you said about certain bosses and things earlier on in life, like, is there something even like a – because I even think down to, like, when you very first graduate or you very first go into the workplace, there were definitely – I was such a shy little soul back then, but now I think of the things – that they taught me and where they came from. So I always always had a, I've also been told a lot of times like that's impossible or there's no way you can do that. And so for me personally, I've always wanted, I've got that little side of me that wants to prove people wrong. Or if someone tells me I can't, I want to try within myself and show that I can. So I think like, you know, one of my very first creative directors in London, um, uh, a guy called Jason Butler at Appetite said to me, and he was great. He was super supportive. You're an amazing designer, but packaging's not your thing. But this and, and somehow it must have triggered something because the next agency that I joined for the next four years was primarily packaging design. And so I think and that also comes back to we talked about our parents and stuff. So my dad left when I was eleven. Um, and obviously I'm very close to my mom and my, my mom is my hero to a point of, she taught me so many great values, um, and how it's important to work for what you are. But there are also things I've learned from her, how I don't want to be. And definitely from my dad, it became, it became a little mind shift of mine to go, I'm going to prove I can have an amazing life or I can achieve whatever I want to achieve in my dreams, even without you there. So it becomes that I'm going to prove you wrong mentality. And then luckily I had a mom that a mom that kind of supported that journey and gone, you need to go out and have the life that you want um because she necessarily didn't um but then i think that ripples through to to my work life as well In that people that pushed me further at the time might have said no way can you do that that's impossible the people who said to you when you went with your portfolio uh, i'm not really sure you're for us," then you'd go back you. two weeks later and go what do you think now
0: <laughs> yeah it's very true <laughs> I,
1: I, life, I like some of those people that go that's not you and you go i'm gonna prove you it is me
0: yeah. I love the idea that you say that sometimes these people who have influenced in your life aren't necessarily the people who have, um, you could suggest say, had a positive influence at the time. But looking back, it was positive. So for a, a prime example is, um, again, this is personal rather than work related. But um, to me, so saying to you that my father was my uh, a big role, role model for me and a bit of a hero growing up, the one thing he never was with me is um, tactile or over- overtly affectionate so he would never certainly not on a regular basis hug me or tell me that he loved me those sorts of things which as a child growing up and you need You think about as a child but as an adult you, think, you know what I never really had that but I now do that with my kids um, I have got a two-year-old and a 12-year-old and I am very very affectionate with them openly affectionate with them, always giving them hugs and kisses and telling them how much I love them and sort of almost sort of thing there are things that influenced me heavily with my father and how to do things but there's certain things that i would have benefited from i think growing up and i think that's why now with my kids i'm slightly, i approach it slightly differently so my father being my hero there are certain things that i've learned well perhaps this is something else i can add into the mix that perhaps might make it even better for yeah my so kids that they
1: can up. teach you the things that are missing yeah like you say they teach you the things that are missing that you can then build into your own life
0: mm. Mm. And I'm that, I'm that that goes into the professional world as well. You have you'll have had bosses that have shouted at you, screamed at you, and had a negative impact on the way in which you went about your work. And you think, you know what? As great a boss as he might have been, I don't think if I was given that sort of opportunity to to place myself in his position or her position, I wouldn't have approached it that way. I wouldn't have shouted. I wouldn't have raised my voice. And I think now, you know, and you, I'm sure you have the same as a team leader. There are certain ways in which you think. I will not approach this in a way that perhaps I've been approached in the past and someone raising their voice to me won't help.
1: And, and I have a nice little story of recently. So I had a client who wanted to make some design development changes and said, oh, maybe we, we'll be in the studio and it was obviously pre-lockdown. Maybe we can sit with your designer and go through some things on screen. Oh. <laughs> and they did the whole, no one sits with my designer while they move yeah. things around on a screen. Yeah. yeah like because we've all had a creative director who watches over your shoulder and go why don't yeah. you try that in purple and like yeah <laughs> like make your ideas and then bugger off <laughs> and let, let me play with it like those those kind of people those creative directors who watch so I'm so conscious not to be one of those creative directors who watches because we've all been there
0: do you know it remi- that reminds me Lee sorry very quickly that reminds me of The Apprentice have you ever watched The Apprentice which is the tv program where yeah you yeah have yep. two teams yeah. split up and they go and um, they're often in every year they'll have a particular project where they've got to, got to go and design a bit of branding and packaging for a product. It could be a shampoo or a perfume or whatever. And at one point they always go into an agency that you and I have heard of and, and the camera sits behind the designer. And it's horrible. And the certain The team members of each of these teams have to then direct the designer. And every now and again the, the camera scrolls to the designer's face and you can see him rolling his eyes as they're saying... Could you just try it in this font? Can you just move this colour? Yeah. Can you go back yeah. to what you had? And it's yeah. so cringeworthy. And you kind of yeah. think, I've been there so many times. There's someone yeah. sat on your shoulder and moves something. Please stop asking me to do stuff which is going to look utter shit. Because this is this is on live TV and <laughs> everyone's going to see this. And you know, I'm being the worst project ever. And forever and, ever and more, I'm now going to be known as the person that worked on that crap shampoo that made it into The Apprentice. Oh, they're, the,
1: they're the kind of moments that turn designers to try and get the word penis into every presentation that they <laughs> can. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know totally. Deary me. Um, no, it's, definitely. It's so, yeah,
1: the heroes, villains are very close together. And I think because you change and evolve as you get older as well. So like someone, yeah, like you say, someone that you once saw as a hero, then you start to see the way they think or or vice versa. At the time, they might have felt like a villain. But later on, you go, actually, the people at the time that were pushing me, actually it's worked out for the better. Like I can remember I had a great boss who taught me so much about business. I won't name him on, on, uh, on here. Um, but at the time, like it would sit in meetings and just kind of yell at you at the time sometimes. But, as an offset to that one it's taught me certain habits as to what not to do so I don't honestly think you should yell at someone in front of their team and things like that Um, but it also taught me habits and things as to go there's a business side and as someone within design and you're taught the design side and this is I'll name another hero here and obviously we had him on last session was Chris Doe is that he teaches you the business side of design and so And and I learn a lot about that at the moment in my role. And I've actually got a presentation to do for General Assembly next week on what do you actually need to be a creative director? Because I think what we think we need isn't actually what we need. And a lot of it is about you naturally need to understand business and read business books, not just talk about design. It's not about being the best designer. And so I think there are certain people along the way, like I've definitely had a couple of bosses that have been more, they've taught me so much about business, but they knew nothing about design.
0: It's down to exposure as well, Liz. I think as you become more senior within your in the businesses that you're working within you then get exposed to those sorts of things and such as listening to the fd discussing the annual accounts you know uh, or giving you the quarterly results and you start to see what an impact um, the people holding the purses have within the business so you need to understand what can i do to ensure that those the accounts and the numbers are just begin to look better. And you have to understand business. It's without a shadow of a doubt. And the younger you are within the business or the more junior you are, the less exposed you'll have had to it and the less, understandably, the less you will understand what's happening. You, just, you have to immerse yourself and make yourself understand it. And it's very easy to switch off to it because t- as a creative, you're used to creating beautiful images and pictures and brands. Then to suddenly start looking look at numbers and bar charts and um, yeah. spreadsheets, <laughs> it's not attractive and you can get switched <laughs> off from it.
1: And I think now that's probably a better space for the world in that there's so many education platforms online and people who are out there talking differently. I was thinking about this recently in terms of like now we've just recently helped. uh, I'm not even going to name the name of the client, but um, uh, after pay type company um, with their journey and some of their communications here in Australia. What's
0: what's that? What's an after pay? What do you mean?
1: Uh, So like one of those buy now, pay later type brands.
0: Oh yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yes, yes, so yes. So like, after pay,
1: after pays, yeah. So there's there's a lot of those. But getting your head into the like now, people, younger people are so much savvier about money, about investing, about crypto, about shares, and 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 that kind of thing. And I think it's it's obviously because there's the accessibility of it. It's not embarrassing to talk about money and about finances and try and understand how better to invest in things even at a young age. And um, so I think access to information is bigger, you just need to make sure as a designer you go out and seek it. So I think, if you, I mean, who was your, who did you admire when you were a student, Mark? Like who were, because I wrote down David Carson on mine and that's not because David Carson is necessary. He was an amazing graphic designer for Raygon and stuff like that. But what he taught me at the time is that because everyone else was doing things a certain way, he did it differently. So he was very much style over content. There was not necessarily a smile in the mind or an ideas kind of way that we like to work now. But he he entered a world that was about disruption, and it, it looked different to everything that we saw at the time. So, who are your like? Have you got any designers or, or design groups or even agencies that that you kind of even look up to even now? Because I know we talk about dicks and Baxia here, kind of like. Yeah, it out well, of
0: your home. question your question initially was who when I was at university. Now, at university, I was being steered very little by what was going on in the design world. It was all about sort of the immediate um, sports and parties and girls and what have you. So. <laughs> The, you know the side of it. The, what was going on? It was all a bit of a blur of us and those immediately people, the names that first come to my mind are just my tutors at the time who had been in the professional world, who had been um, not necessarily with sort of world-leading agencies, but certainly been in the agency world, and then moved into education and were tutors. I was at um, De Montfort in Leicester, and I did design management uh, which was my course, and this is way back in the sort of late 90s, mid mid to late 90s. And uh, there were certain tutors who I knew um, basically our world was quite small. We didn't, the internet was in its fetal stages. We didn't have access to Google or uh, it was so minimal. You had to go into the, and use dial up in the libraries. And even they it was so slow. So our knowledge around so the, the business side of things and who influenced us was being heavily driven by what was printed books, which is something that designers now rarely touch, I think. Um, but so I've, Jeremy Myerson was a guy who um, came to mind, who was one of the tutors there at the time. Um, again, I wouldn't say he was a big name in the design world, um, but just someone who you had immediate access to at the time.
1: And I think that's, that's what a lot of real heroes are. They're not necessarily like we can all say, like you say, you know, Iron Man, Superman, whatever. But actually our real heroes are the ones that actually impacted our day-to-day lives at some point, not just the ones that are on this pedestal.
0: And and in that stage of your life, certainly at university, when you've had limited and virtually no exposure in the professional world, you are limited to what's right in front of you. And certainly, pre internet, these were the tutors. This is the only people that had a big influence on us. And these became, oh, okay, they pointed us in the direction. And they spoke very passionately about their roles within certain agencies. And you think, ah, that sounds like the sort of life I would like to be leading and things I'd like to be doing. You know, working with letra sets uh, and <laughs> working not. with wet proofs. You know, these are things nowadays people wouldn't have even heard of. But back then it was something that it was, it was a standard. Yeah, I like the idea of um, wordsmithing and crafting beautiful type um, and making sure the kerning is right, the leadings right. You know, a lot of that's automated now.
1: So what you've done there is you've actually pulled on something there that I think is a really interesting point. So those people were really passionate about what they were teaching you and I was thinking about this a bit today and, to, and thinking about like what is the one thing that defines anyone that you look up to they are passionate in whatever it is that they might do and, and how they teach it and how they bring it to you. They've been at some point very emotively passionate about it. And so when I you know when you think about archetypes and stuff, these are the people who are passionate that kind of ripple that passion through to you. you want to care as much about something as they do about what they're they're teaching you.
0: In terms of an influencer, if you—if I'd asked you back when I was at university, in, uh, I'm not sure you—I your exact age at least, but I'm sure I know you are quite a bit younger than I am, but um, we're talking about the mid '90s here and someone said, what is an influencer? We hadn't even heard of the word influencer, someone who influences you was a hero. Even the word mentor wasn't really something. So an influencer now, by definition, is so totally different. So we're talking like 20, 25 years on. So if someone says, what is an influencer? People say, oh, it's just someone on the internet who is um, selling something with complete passion and then some people buy into what they're trying to sell you. That is an influencer. Um, but in, by, by definition, an influencer, someone who influences you, and uh, I've written down here is a person Or a set of people, a group of people who have the power to affect your decisions. And that could be a purchase decision or a life decision. You know, so, and that's an influencer. And is that the same as a mentor? No, mentor, I guess, to a certain extent, is slightly different. That's someone who helps grow your skills. And then a hero is someone you admire for their courage or noble qualities. You know, so they're very different. And then the villain, obviously. Well, you make the you know what a villain is. It's the
1: opposite to a hero. Yeah, like I I went straight to hero. I didn't actually do influence or all of those and look to courage, um, and achievements. Um, and I'm putting together a presentation. I do loads of talks on bravery and courage and stuff anyway. But it did make me think about the courage link, and that kind of people that you look up to because they've achieved something that either you want to achieve, or something that they dreamed of. So something they were passionate about. They've kind of reached the top of their field. So if you've got a list of other people. Um, because I, I know you don't like to name names, but you've got to name. A I few. do.
0: I, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna name one person that you and I both know very well. Um, and she is someone who gave me an opportunity within her business. Um, her name is Sue Alsop, who originally was a partner in a, a design agency called Pure. Um, um. and she had her own business called Equator, and the business became Pure Equator. Um, it's a very it's a small business that sort of worked very much on on branding and packaging, but worked closely with some of the, I think it was Aldi at the time was their main client. They had a few other boutique clients, but Aldi was their sort of biggest client. And um, essentially the brand, uh, her agency grew um, through various acquisitions and sort of strategic partnerships um, into what it is today. And Equator Design is now a sort of global agency um, rolling out some great creative and uh, I guess rollout work. And Equator now is part of, SGK? It's, it's,
1: yes, it's part of our big. Um, so, yeah, exactly, I'm, I'm obviously exactly, SGK is Sydney as part of the Matthews group, and actually, Equator owned by Matthews, not by SGK. Um, but, you. yeah, still a part of some big machine up uh, there. <laughs> that's
0: right. But Sue was, um. it's not necessarily for her design skills, because although, although she had a very sort of creative mind and was great at sort of assessing design and, and, that was in front of her and articulating how she wanted it to look, Sue had a very. I guess an engaging personality and someone who which and anyone who's worked with Sue will, will tell you that um, Sue is someone who will do anything for you anything to help you and always has time for you I would have I've had calls with Sue I've worked for her work in Australia when I worked with you in the States I've had calls with her early hours in the morning where she's sort of been up in the early hours depending on what sort of obviously um, the times were I certainly had sort of conversations about how the business was going and but her um, passion and influence behind growing her business and helping people grow um led me to sort of think and this is if ever I'm placed in a position like this I want to be just like her in the respect that she was able to help people grow I think in terms of an influencer and a mentor
1: you'd really suit the blonde hair as well
0: (laughs) yeah uh, this is it and Sue also she in client meetings, she was lovely every sort of every one of her clients loved her too, not just the teams. And I've never heard anyone say a bad word about Sue. Um, so Sue so also, uh, I, know, I don't know whether she still works within the business. And if she does, it'll be in a sort of limited capacity um, just because I think she's... Uh, probably had enough of it and thought you know what it's time now for me to sort of have do other things and sort of work probably spend a bit of time in her own life and personal life and just a bit of enjoy her own personal life it's because she worked very hard she was working 24 hours a day for a lot of the time um but no in terms of way in which she treated people um, she's been a huge influence on me. And I know you've worked with Sue before too, so you probably understand.
1: I have, only. yes. Um, Sue was the master of relationships. Um, I probably don't have quite as close a relationship with her necessarily as you, but yeah, definitely um, at the time, yes, I have worked with Sue. Um, she was very influential yeah. in the equator business.
0: Yeah, oh hugely, hugely. And what about you? Have you got someone of a sort of a, a equivalent stance
1: Oh, like I don't I don't have such a I don't have such a one person um, and I kind of split the work and life thing separately on a piece of paper. So obviously I've got certain people like, you know, like Mark Money, who was one of my bosses here, who taught me an awful lot about business. Um, and the fact that not everyone is going to be nice and, you know, they're not all in it to help you. <laughs> um, you know, there are people out there who do talk and think business first and foremost. Um, I've also got like my first CD, like I said, who said, Lisa, I'm like, you're a brilliant designer, but I'm not sure. Not really sure that packaging's your thing, um, so I think there's also a lot of those kind of people I've got. I've also got people like Christo, we've spoke about, because he's anyone who makes me think about myself a different way or our industry a different way, he challenges my thinking and forces me to grow. I class them as more of a, as a mentor and a hero for me. So I've even got down to someone, I was listening to some podcasts today and I always, my go-to podcast is someone like Tom Bilial. So he gets you to think about that kind of like that that infinite mindset of, you know, he, he wants to reach a point where he's going to live forever and ever. But some of the guests that he has on, um, you know Deepak Chopra, Vishen Lakhani, who's a head of Mind Valley. So people I've discovered more recently, I would actually name some of the the people that I've discovered probably over the last five years, even more so than the time before that, because I think I reached a point where I kind of wanted to grow in different ways. So I think you have people growing up and at university and things who you grow in the way that you go. At One day I want to be a senior designer, then I want to be a creative director and everything. But I think as you reach those goalposts, you start to think about different ways to grow. And so some of those people that I would name, so, you know, like Martin Neumeyer, who, who um, I've learned an awful lot on over the past two years from strategy – so I've kind of take, taken me in directions I didn't see myself going in, doing a lot more of the meditation type work and and the mind and, and intuitive thinking from something like a mind valley. So there are people like that that have even the health point of view from, from Tom Biliao and stuff have taught me different techniques and different ways to thinking. And so I actually class those as my heroes or mentors more because they teach me to think a different way. Um, and that's probably why I say someone like David Carson is that because they they taught you everything you've always thought of and known doesn't have to be that way. And I've actually been lucky enough, I've done a couple of talks over the past year or so with Design Hill, which is an online teaching platform. And um, I won't say that um, it's something everyone needs to look at, but some of the people that I've met through that have made me think a different way. so Sonny but, someone who, who who's a strategist and has a business in America, talks about the diversity and and bravery in a different way, not bravery as in charging forward with a with you know a, a horse and a, and a um you know, <laughs> and a sword in your hand, but um but you know, just thinking about the world in different ways to everything you've ever been taught. and some of the people that have there's a really great podcast recently with the future, um Christo, I forget who he interviewed, but he talks about why you believe the things you believe and and where your belief system comes from. And that goes all the way back. You said, you know, your dad didn't necessarily show you as much affection, but he did teach you other things. And then how that's manifested in your later life. And it teaches you to question why you believe what you believe, whether it's right and whether, like, how do you move forward from that? Can you challenge that belief system? So I actually got a lot of the... Um, things on, people and things on my list were more about who pushes you and inspires you or at least teaches you to think differently um, but I also on a tangent to that I started to think about archetypes and the kind of people they were so if you had a list of 10 people who've influenced you throughout your life are they certain types of people um, so you know a lot of the people that I look up to um, and you know people like, like Chris Doe or David Carson or whatever they're the rebels or they're the creators So they're the people who, who, you know, manifest something new, or they change the norm. Um, And and they, I feel like, I don't know if you've ever done one of those tests online, Mark, where you do, what's your archetype? And I've, I've 12 Jungian archetypes, you'll answer a load of questions, and it will tell you what your tendency is. And there's lots of different ones, there's a caregiver, there's the lover, there's the creator. And, And we do it in brand world. So you know, like, Apple is a creator um, and, and every brand has its own archetype. But but it kind of tells you what your, your archetypes are based on how you answer the questions. And we all like it to do a quiz. So everyone who's online now start Googling what's my archetype. Um, and, and I know definitely like I am obviously a creator archetype, but my two that come be- behind that are the rebels and the explorers. And I thought, I wonder if the people that I look up to and admire, because even when I think about film directors that I admire. So Sophia Coppola, who's a f- female film director and some of the films she's done, like Lost like Lost in Translation and things like that. The narrative in those films like makes me feel uncomfortable as a viewer. But from a creative point of view, like she, the way she views the world fascinates me. And so I started to think about whether there was a type of... If if all of your heroes were in a bag, were there a type? Are they kind of... You know, like if all of the people that were in your list of heroes were... You know, you mentioned Sue. I would say she's a bit of a caregiver.
0: Yeah, I so completely I, like, agree. I, she's certainly not know. in the same so basket I, as Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: She's, she's, not, you know, like she's not a rebel. She's not particularly an explorer. Um, She kind of makes you feel safe. Whereas a lot of the people... Like I've got on my list don't make me feel safe they make me feel a bit uncomfortable but that's why I respect them because they don't make they don't kind of wrap me up on cotton wool they make me think about oh like maybe I'm not right and that's okay like I, I like I like the feeling of uncomfortability when I listen to a podcast by Tom Billy, he makes me it makes me think if everything I, I know in my belief system is right so I like the people that kind of make me go, and they're the rebels, and like I say, or the explorers, or the or the, the creators. And you know, you've got Elon definitely on yours. So, so, so I wonder if if you wrote a list of ten of your people who've influenced you throughout your life, I wonder if there's a type.
0: I don't know. I think certainly as I've got older, and I've mentioned this a few times about my we me aging, and I don't feel like I'm sort of aging. You're not quickly. old, Mark. no, but by that I mean you you become wiser in the respect that, for example. Um, and I'm sure we've all done this you go through a period where you're using um, the likes of Facebook or Instagram to benchmark yourself you're seeing images years ago you looked at images of people with their fast cars and watches and think oh that looks great and then you start to realise this isn't healthy and this is not a sort of a healthy approach to start aspiring to things which are number one 99% of the time untrue and unreal these are just sort of images that people are putting out which aren't reality um by switching off from that and then starting to realize you know it's not something you need in your life sort of benchmarking yourself against unrealistic um goals um you start to realize there are things out around you that you can get gain influence from that um, my my point being is um these we were talking looking at into people who have influenced you or heroes around you um, again like you' thinking heavily about right what is a hero to me i think. Certainly, in the last few years, a hero to me isn't necessarily someone who's related to me in some respect. It's fits to professional or personal life or anything. It's someone who I can look up to and look to, look across to and think, you know, to my side and say, they've wanted something in their life. Um, they've set in a goal and they've managed to achieve it. That to me is something I think I like. That I like the idea of someone who's set themselves, who's got a passion about something, want to do something, being setting up a business, being. Um, moving abroad having a family whatever it is they've set a goal as they Right, in five years time this is what I want they haven't deviated from that path or if they have it's only been um, because they've needed to or had to because it's been unrealistic but nonetheless they've set themselves a goal and they've achieved it so I look now around me and there are people who so even wherever I've just moved to recently, there are farmers who have grown their farms, for example, it sounds like a weird analogy, but there are farmers here who've grown their farms in the a way that they are farming so efficiently, um, using the land they've got to the best of their advantage. Um, they you know, they've diversified some of their land, so they've noticed that they're not making as much money by selling crops or, you know, selling beef or whatever it might be. And they've sort of right, well open up a, a campsite, we'll open up a business um, site which has it could be for storage or whatever, you know these are people who just think, right what can I do to grow and make make my life better um be it income or my surroundings so yeah the the heroes around me are changing all the time, and it 's often i'm it's now i'm just I look out and I can see um your average Joe next to me and think you are a bit of a hero of mine because you 're doing something which you 're passionate about. And I love you for doing that. And I love the fact that you sort of, you're passionate about something. Because those people who aren't passionate about something are missing something in their lives,
1: you know? I agree. And I think I think that's a really good point because it changes massively from when you're a kid um, to when you grow older and what you think about. But, but definitely, I think most of the people I look up to are, are people who've had a goal. Um, and look, the path to get to that goal isn't always clear. I think sometimes it kind of, it gets a bit squiggly along the way or, you know, it used to... And that's why I I do look a little bit kind of – I do frown a little bit on these whole um, 30 under 30 and the people who've made millionaires by their time they're 25. And I think that to me isn't – I mean, look, it is a goal because if you go, look, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25, then great. If you do it, then good on you. But I think what I would look up to more is those people who go, this is my goal and this is roughly how I think I'm going to get there. And, and, you know, be that, you know, like well, I'm sure definitely when I was at university, I was like, Oh, one day I'd love to be a creative director. I'd love to have my own business. And that doesn't always, that doesn't always go in the way that you think it's going to be this whole squiggly careers thing, you know, and like went off and did strategy, love doing strategy and all of these different things along the way. And was a creative director then went, no, I'm going to go backwards. And, and, and you know, all these different things. So the the goal, the goal can change, but I think when you passionately charge towards something, it, it's not always the destination isn't um, the um, the pathway isn't always clear. But those people who went, no, that, my dream is this, and at some point they've never given up on that dream, and they've ch- and they've they've not and they've chased it, and you just keep going even if it means run one way, and then it doesn't quite work, so you go a different way. But the fact that you're passionate and you chase towards that dream, like I'm super passionate about our industry and what we do. And so it's not necessarily always about having necessarily a title or and we've speak, spoken about all of this. Um, and that's why I don't I know you've mentioned the word freelancing a few times in this, but I don't see you as a freelancer because you're passionate about our industry and what we do. Um, and I, and that passion comes through in your work and all those kind of things. So I think passion, people who follow whatever their passion is are massively bigger as heroes, even if they're farmers. So you know like but they've you know they've given, that that's their thing. Like I think it's why when people say, oh, do you have a niche?" or "Niche," if you're American, um, I think there's something about having an, uh, a specialism, even if that's not always your specialism. I think there's something about digging hundred percent into something, and you know, like both of us come, did passionately packaging design. And and yes, we've diversified and gone into strategy and all sorts of things, but we we put everything into into something, learned it in a lot of detail. And that that was a passion. And I think that makes a hero for me, not someone who kind of flits around and does different things without quite deciding, and committing to something. There's a certain level of a hero that, that's about commitment. And that's maybe that's why we look to our parents a little bit as well, because they committed to something.
0: Yeah, but well, <laughs> having a child and then bringing it up. Definitely, that's a big commitment. <laughs> I think one thing that's just crossed my mind, I don't want to sort of labor the point too much, Lisa, and we'll sort of start to round things up. But I think that one thing that I think someone it was a business coach of mine called Neil Lewis um f- f- a few years ago when i was setting up my business blue nectar uh and i spent a year or so working with him working about how i can grow my business and looking at sort of uh various different methods and systems which i can apply to um the way i was running my business to grow it and it stepping aside i we had a bit of a personal session where he said i want you to set up a dream board so you and sort of my partner at the time my wife and my ex-wife uh, we set up a dream board um, about what we wanted to be and it included both professional and personal things and it always stuck with me creating dream boards and having a vision about where you want to be and what you want to do and visualizing it because everyone learns in different ways and takes on information and i i created these sort of vision boards and i still do it now and it's a bit of a strange thing i don't it's not something i share but it's something i have in my mind about what i visually want sort of and it's it's not to sound like it's um, it's materialistic because it's not always materialistic and it can sometimes be having a, a perfect, a great relationship with your um, significant other half or, you know, bringing up your child in the most sort of, the safest way possible. And But it includes all these sort of things. And if anything that I could sort of carry on uh, and I have done is creating these, and it's it's so it sounds so life coachy and sort of something it was certainly it came around in the year 2000s create yourself a vision board and i love doing I it i think
1: it's the, i think it's the term because i think i agree it's like more. a dream board like, or a vision board. vision board it sounds very
0: poncy I, but it's
1: it it's sounds really yeah it sounds really wanky, doesn't it but um, but <laughs> just the fact so some of the stuff I, I i also have a vision board and like when you say to people they're like oh, okay it's like why do you know what years ago like i can remember saying to you years ago when we first did a podcast on meditation and taking time out you were like what?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and I'm like, well, oh, like I tell you, like, and you don't want to admit how feminine it is, but the vision board's similar. When people go, oh, I have a vision board. You imagine like eight year old girls pinning pictures of like, take that onto yeah, a, a board. And go from one it. day.
0: It's it's I've got unicorns life, and rainbows on mine. So I probably align myself quite <laughs> well to that.
1: I hope. I really hope that you do. Um, but it, but the one thing that it does teach you, it's not so much about having your vision board or your collage or whatever you might want to have. <laughs> um, but it's about writing things down because once it's on paper and out of your head, it becomes more tangible and it becomes more believable. So I think, yeah, like your your business coach would have, um it's a real point of you know whether you draw pictures of rainbows and unicorns or not you're more likely to have a rainbow and a unicorn if it's out of your head and on a sheet of paper but, the, <laughs> but
0: the interesting thing is and you can go back to them if it's something i save uh, and there are i can look at some of mine from probably oh, even 10 years ago now uh and now i look forward look right that was my vision from 10 years ago what how does it look like now and what did, has it transpired itself in any way and a lot of those images i had in that board and one of which and it's again it's it's a more personal than professional it was wanting to live in the countryside and certainly down in the southwest of england and here i am living that dream so it was a vision that i'd set myself and unbeknownst to me i'm now here and i've done it it was almost embedded in my brain this is what i want this is what i'm going to achieve um and it be, it, it tickles on in the background it's still going on you know i'm now living it and breathing it and there are other things in there too which have sort of transpired um and some of which haven't you know the ferrari never materialized but um nowadays but, i don't again, want a different, <laughs> yeah, so. it,
1: you probably would you wouldn't fit the family <laughs> in if you had a ferrari and the it point. would never get over some of those hills that i've seen you on this new um estate of no yours. exactly exactly um, but I, i've recently discovered a guy on youtube called clark kegley and he talks about the power of manifestation which i know is also a little bit of a voodoo world but but that's what a vision board is it's about one day this is my dream to be here and here are some steps that i might do to get to it's it's like it's a life strategy really isn't it it's like here's the goal here are some pivotal moments around the goal. But there's n- it's so rewarding to look back at someone that goes, one day I wanted to be a creative director or I wanted to have my own farm and my own estate. And then when you look back and go, oh, actually, I've done it. I can do it, and it just—it just reminds you when you look to all of those heroes that go, you can achieve what you want to achieve, and you go, well, actually, I can because I'm getting there. So what? What next? Yeah.
0: Like, it's, write that, shit down. That's so importantly. It's absolutely it was part of it. <laughs> the key <things> <laughs> right. i just put, write things down.
1: <laughs> I've put together a presentation next week, and um, one of it's how to embrace strategies for creativity in the workplace, and and on both the what makes a great creative director plus what makes for a strategy in the workplace is write shit down. Like it's such a simple thing. And and write it like handwrite it, not like no, we can do it on iPad. No, we can type it all down but to handwrite it the physical act of handwriting it sounds really old school but you it will lodge itself in your brain like I had to sit down and write a load of really scribbly now notes before our podcast tonight because I've listened to so much stuff today when I've been out walking and I was like oh all of these people and I've made the notes on my phone but I had to rewrite the notes from my phone onto a piece of paper so that I can remember what on earth we're talking about (laughs) yeah
0: it's very true oh dearly. so okay Lee, so
1: we should wrap this up we should i mean
0: (laughs) of all of the things that we've spoken about today there's if there's one takeaway that you'd like people to remember what would the what would it be from your perspective in terms of the heroes and mentors session
1: i think think about write a list of the top five or ten people who are influencing your life or you consider a hero and think if there are consistent characteristics they have and if they're also characteristics you have I think it teaches you, like you say, I think it teaches you something about yourself to understand like what the, what what archetypes are each of those people and are they within you?
0: Yeah, and understanding as well it's going to change. <laughs> like I said, Arnold Schwarzenegger, whilst he was a hero back when I was sort of uh, as a teenager, nowadays his, his influence is somewhat dwayne in my and influencing my life but nonetheless he's still there he's still there
1: but you know what the interesting thing is because he's gone vegan and shown he's caring about animals and you've talked about your parents and this caregiver and we talked about sue being a bit of a caregiver so maybe within you mark your archetype is a caregiver oh, you, you said need to go before. online to your and
0: lovers <laughs> I'm, I'm both of those they're creative and a lover so and I'm not to
1: now say you're say putting <laughs> yourself up as a <laughs> pinup boy <laughs> Is this your it. midlife life crisis live on air?
0: <laughs> oh, massively. I've been through many of them in my life. I'm probably going through another one now. Dear me. Oh, Elise, look, thank you ever so much. And uh, we didn't speak about Elon as much as I'd like, but um uh, Elon, we did you will get your airtime we'll next time.
1: time. Yeah, we'll bring <laughs> him into the next one. We'll do a special special edition podcast just for Elon. <laughs>
0: brilliant Lisa I love it thanks ever so much and uh, I think again how can people get hold of us I'll put it in the show notes because I still don't remember mine um, and I don't think I'm
1: not even prepared with mine either so I'm just going to let mine be in the show it will be
0: in the show notes don't worry (laughs) Lisa thank you ever so much and I hope lockdown doesn't sort of keep you put you down too much
1: (laughs) we're all good thanks Mike. it's been good to catch up